You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. If this is your first time with us or first time in a little while, we have been journeying through the book of 1 Timothy over the last several weeks. And as we have been journeying through this, um, we are looking at this series entitled Focused, How the Gospel Changes Our Lives. And in this series, we've been seeing just that. Like, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's addressing issues that are in the church at Ephesus, issues of false teaching that's happening, issues of people to understand what it means to truly be followers of Jesus and how things are to be applied to Christ's church. He writes this letter to Timothy, as I said, and he's addressing these issues. And to what we've seen over the last couple weeks especially, you may remember from two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Walter preached uh, the qualifications for overseers, pastors, elders uh, from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And then last week, I took a little bit of a side and went to 1 Peter for a moment for us to see the role, what exactly a pastor elder does. And today we're going to jump right back in where we left off in 1 Timothy two weeks ago, and we're looking specifically at deacons or servant leaders and what they are called to do, these qualifications for them. You see there on the screen, the the title of the sermon today is Godly Servant Leaders, and you see the passage that's there. I encourage you to go ahead and turn there. It'll be on the screen. The the passage will be there um, in the Bibles in front of you if you need one. But as I say that word servant leader servant leader, who maybe comes to your mind? You may have somebody that just comes to your mind, you know, being at at Holmes Avenue, as long as our church has been around, you know, there have been many great people that have been servant leaders to this congregation. There was one person in particular uh, from previous, in, in my previous ministry experience that stands out to me. Back when Miranda and I were at Friendship Baptist Church, right when I was starting out in ministry, there was a wonderful man of God named Bill Fisher. Many of you may know Mr. Fisher. Uh, His uh, daughter-in-law, Mary, uh, played organ in our uh, wedding ceremony years ago, and uh, she serves still faithfully at Highland Park Baptist today, playing for them and and being a part of things there. But Mr. Fisher was somebody that always stood out to me because I was still very, very young in ministry. Many of you are like, bro, you're still young. (laughs) I am, but uh, very early out in ministry, I was not even ordained yet, and I remember watching this man. I remember watching him in the way in which he conducted himself in a small crowd, in a large crowd. I remember hearing him pray and listening to those prayers and being like, man, It's obvious that this man spends hours and hours and hours in his prayer closet with the Lord. I remember watching him, and he was older in age at the time. I mean, he he passed away shortly during the time of while we were there at Friendship. But as he was serving, he didn't let age get in his way. He faithfully served. He gave of himself. One of the things I remember specifically in watching him, not a, not a specific event, but just specifically how he carried himself, he never once wanted any kind of applause. He never once wanted anything of boasting for him. Anytime that somebody congratulated him on something, he automatically said, no, 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 God gets the glory for that. And it really stuck with me, that example 
And I asked Miss Mary this past week, I said, can I please share that about Mr. Bill? She said he would be honored. So thank you for that. But you may have somebody in your life. I mean, there are many people, a part of this congregation that I could mention. And I'm not going to start doing that because I might not mention a name and not mean to. And then somebody, but you didn't say me or you didn't say this. There are many that have been faithful, but Mr. Bill Fisher stuck out to me so much in my time there at Friendship. Have you ever had somebody minister to you like that? Have you ever had somebody, just by their example, and the way they cared, and the way they served, just left you in awe and say, man, look what God is doing through that person. Today, as I said, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, and we've seen these things that we've seen leading up to here, and over the last couple of weeks specifically, when we talked about pastor elders, and we talked about the role of what they do, I want to encourage you, if you weren't here, go back and listen to those sermons so you can get caught up to see where we are, where we're heading as a church family, what God is doing, because remember, in this series, we want to be biblical, We want to see what God is doing. We want to be honoring to his word. We want to do it as best as possible. If you recall from last week's message, the pastors are called to care, to shepherd for God's church. And this should be done, and as as you may remember at the beginning, a plurality, a team of elders to lead God's church. But one thing I want to specifically point out today as we look at deacons is the, call, the qualifications may be similar, but there is a distinction there. There's a st- distinction between eldership, pastor elders, and the team of deacons that the church may call. And one of those big differences, and we'll see it as we get to it, is that for pastor elders, it says able to teach. Able to teach. And that is not a qualification that's given to the deacons, servant leaders. Remember from a couple weeks prior to that, when I was talking about whose role is it anyway, We specifically looked at the context of pastors being the ones called by God to teach, to preach, proclaim proclaim the gospel to the church. Thus, the deacon role, it's not one of leading in a pastoral type of way, but instead serving the congregation as a servant leader. There to, yes, support the elders in the church, but to be servant leaders The word that we get that deacon term from is the word diakonos, from the Greek, and it simply means servant. So today, as we look at this passage, I want to give you our bottom line. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. The bottom line is this. Deacons are called by God to serve his church. Deacons are called by God to serve his church. Three points for us today. The first one is this, godly character godly character. Now, before we jump into verse 8, I want to take us very quickly to Acts chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to worry about flipping there. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. I referenced this last week. I want to read it for us again so we understand where we get this idea of deacon from. Acts 6, 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give preaching the word of God to serve, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. 
but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. See, we see here that a need arises that is brought to the apostles, the twelve. They're, they're hearing of this need, and there are people that are being neglected. These widows are there, and they're being neglected. And this leads to the apostles calling the disciples together, all the followers of Jesus, and saying, Listen, we have a need, and we need to get it resolved. So they're called to serve. They're called to serve so that, as you may remember from last week, so that the pastor elders may focus on the prayer and the ministry of the word, shepherding, caring for the flock in that type of way. The daily distribution, as it's referred to here during that time, it's like these daily needs weren't being met. And so they chose these men to do this work. Warren Wearsby, a famous theologian, he says this, deacons relieve the pastor elders of other tasks so that they may concentrate on the ministry of the word, prayer, and spiritual oversight. Now let's jump into our text for today. 1 Timothy 3, starting at verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Let's stop there for a moment. Let's break that down for just a second. First, he says they must be dignified. This person must be respected and have good, godly, Christian character. Not double-tongued. They're not one who gossips. They don't say one thing and then another to someone else. They're faithful. They're trustworthy. They're not given to too much wine, he says. Put it bluntly, one cannot serve God faithfully if they are going around as a drunkard. It does not bring God glory, not for greedy or dishonest gain. They're not a greedy person. They're not one that wants to do things dishonestly to advance. They're not greedy in the sense of having a love for money. Remember, Jesus says, you cannot have and serve two masters. Qualifications continue. Look at verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This mystery here, it refers to something that was once hidden, but is now revealed. Think about that in the context of mystery of the faith. Something that was once hidden from us. We were lost. Now it has been revealed. We have been found. Holding to that tightly, it refers to what is once hidden, now revealed, but they need to be doctrinally sound. They need to know the core truth of the gospel. They need to have a solid understanding of the Christian faith. It makes sense, right? This can also go to the show that they submit to the word of God in their life as authority. 
If you're holding to the mystery of the faith, if you're clinging to it, you're not just thankful that God has saved you from hell. You look at the beauty of the word of God and you hold it as authoritative in your life. You hold it as something that is valuable, that you cherish, that you constantly indwell yourself with. You've heard me say it before. Robbie Gallaty has said this before. It's a simple phrase, but it's, it's one that I love. Get in the word until the word gets into you. Constantly be in the word. They hold to the mystery of the faith. They hold it as authority in their lives. Being a part of the church leadership, they would also submit to the authority of pastor elders as God has given to under shepherds to lead the church. They would be there to support the eldership. Let's look at verse 10. And let them also be tested first. And let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. I think you know by now that I think that all of the Word of God is critical and important. However, I want to, when we talk about deacons in this sense, the same as if we talk about elders, I want to make sure that we highlight the fact that verse 10 is critically important. Verse 10 is critically important. I want to talk about two things of it. What it doesn't mean and what it means. Here's what it doesn't mean. Just because a person has potential to be a deacon and you only adjust that or advise that as, or accept that as they're breathing and they attend the church, that doesn't make them qualified to be a deacon. Just because they can do stuff doesn't mean that they are qualified to be a deacon. Pastorally, I want to encourage you with something. I want to challenge you with something. In July, every year as we have our bylaws indicate that we nominate deacons for the next year, there's a couple of men that will be rotating off from the deacons. And then we'll be nominating some more can come on. As you are considering who to nominate as a deacon, I want to encourage you, challenge you, not to just nominate because you see that there's a hole that needs to be filled. I want you to prayerfully seek the Lord and ask the Lord, God, who is it that you would bring to my attention as somebody who would faithfully serve our congregation? Who is somebody that has shown themselves to be these qualifications that are not, or that are being laid out in their lives? Who are they? How do they live their life? Here's what this does mean. This testing, as it refers to, it's an observation period. It's an observation period. Obviously, if somebody joined our church one Sunday, the next Sunday, they would not be nominated to be a deacon because there hasn't been an observation period. There hasn't been a period for us to see, okay, you've joined the church, now we're going to make you a deacon instantly. Like, that, that just sets them up for failure. It sets us up for potential issues down the line. We would look at it, we would say, you know, you have served here faithfully over the last six months to a year. It is obvious that you have these qualifications. Let's nominate this person. How are they living their life? Who are they discipling? 
Are they sharing the gospel? Those are serious questions that need to be asked. Just like you would ask that of a potential pastor that comes into a church, you would want to ask something like that of deacons because they're an office of the church leadership. They serve the congregation. If you don't know how a person lives their life, you don't know if they're discipling, you don't know if they're sharing their faith, you don't know the example that they're setting. You don't know the way in which they're living. And if they aren't living by a godly example, much of what we're seeing laid out here, they're not qualified to serve as a deacon, at least yet. So there has to be godly character. Secondly, there must be a stable home life. Stable home life. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 together and then come back. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Here we see Paul giving this example of the, of the one flesh union between man and woman and how he's referencing husbands, wives. Brian Chaplin, Kent Hughes stated this way, Paul is simply telling Timothy that a deacon must have a wife who has a respectability that matches his own, that his wife's qualifications are part and parcel of his qualifications for the office of deacon. Here, Paul is giving direction of how they are to manage their households. In this specific verse, he references carrying the same idea of husband, that they may be the husband of one wife. They have to be faithful. A deacon can't be in an adulterous relationship, obviously. They must manage their children and household well. I referenced a minute ago when you're asking those questions to say, who are they discipling? Like, is there an example of discipleship taking place in the home? Are children submissive unto their parents? Not in this domineering, like dropping the hammer on them way constantly, but just are, are you setting a godly example in the home so that your children in turn are able to watch you see that demonstration, but are you also proclaiming it? In the home, are you discipling your children? Now, let's go back to verse 11 for a moment. It says there, their wives. In the Greek translation of that there, it is women. Now, based on Paul's wording in verse 12 and what we see, he states husband of one wife. That appears to be referring to a deacon as a male and describing the wife, correct? Yes. But then I ask this question, does this mean that Paul is addressing something else? And I want to go ahead and preface this by saying, you're not hearing one way or another from me. Giving you a full picture of Scripture, okay? Let's look at this. There's a few things to consider here. In the Greek, when we get to verse 11... That word there that we have in the English translation, that word there is not present. So when you're reading it in the Greek, it comes out to be wives or women. Some of your Bibles may have a little note 
right there beside or right before the word wives that leads you down to the bottom. Mine, for example, has a number five and it says, or wives likewise, or women likewise. What are you getting at, Brian? Stay with me. Paul stating likewise also shows this new set of thought that is going on here. Okay? Let's take a moment to see here. Is Paul saying that a woman could serve potentially as a servant leader, as a deacon? Let's just look at some text. Walk with me through the scriptures. Romans 16, 1 through 2. It'll be on the screen for you. Paul writes to the church at Rome, and he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Gennesaret, or Centre, sorry, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, in our English translation there, we see it says Phoebe, and he says servant. That word servant is what I referenced at the beginning, diakonos. It's what we get in the Greek translation of the New Testament. There are 60 different English translations that I could give to you that give that word diakonos. Here's what they translate to as in that passage. 20 of them, deaconess. 15 of them, servant. Servant or deaconess that are interchangeably. There's 15 of them there. Minister, five times. Helper, two. Leader, one. Christian woman, one. Verse 11, we see the word there as wise women likewise. And there's some options that we may consider from this. We may look at this and say, okay, what is Paul saying? Because here's the reality. That verse, that section, it's not as cut and dry as we see in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Because when we're in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, overseers, pastor, elders, it is very specific. He must be able to teach. He. You may say, well, Brian, the, the passage says here that the husband of one wife. Yes, but I'm trying to help you understand it's not as cut and dry because we have that wording in there, not there from the Greek, and then also women or women likewise. So what are some options that may come from this? Well, there, there could be a few. Does this mean that men have wives that must be worthy helpers? Sure. Does this mean that men and their wives could serve as a team? Possibly. Could this mean that men and women could serve in that office? Possibly. I'm not saying yes or no. I'm saying it's possible. But here's the thing that we can all agree on from that text and those qualifications that come after he says likewise. When it's describing a woman, it says dignified, living a life that receives respect given the fruit that they live. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit, it, it shows the fruit. Not slanderers. They must not be one who gossips, double-tongued, just like it said a few moments ago. Sober-minded, not drunkards. They must have a clear mind. They must be able to make good judgment calls. One that is most important, or one of the most important, faithful. They're faithful. They're faithful in many different ways. Most importantly, they're faithful unto God in their service of Him, in their pursuit of Him. They're not perfect, 
but they're pursuing holiness in their lives. Maybe you say, well, Brian, okay, you're, you're saying all this. Is there, is there any sources of people that say otherwise? And yes, here's some examples of what theologians say. Just over this last week, I had an opportunity just to sit down and look through 12 commentaries, 12 trusted commentary resources. And this is going to show you how each of these 12 trusted resources, the opinion is across the board. Of the 12 I studied this week, 33% of them, four out of the 12, said men only. 25 of them, 25% of them, three out of the 12, said women can be deaconesses. 42%, five out of the 12, said it could go either way. You might say, okay, well, what about, are there any examples in our lives that we could point to locally or, or further? Yeah, the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention that we're a part of, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It's our statement of faith that we hold to as an SBC church. It references deacons as an office in the church, but it doesn't give specifics after that. Another thing to consider, 19 of the largest SBC churches in the country and 20 of the fastest growing ones affirm allowing that to take place for women to serve as deacons or servant leaders. Even on a local level, 25% of churches locally right around us that love Jesus just like we do, they hold to the closed-fisted issues, the the things that are non-disputable. They allow it. Now, let me add this disclaimer. This does not mean that we have to agree to this. It does not. Nor are we telling you to approve it or not. Ultimately, we... As a local autonomous church, that means that we don't answer to anybody but God. We make a decision. The congregation will affirm or deny something like that if it ever comes up. What we do want to make sure of, though, is that we are trying to be as biblical as possible. That is the key. That's the most important thing at the end of the day. Not tradition. Not our own wants and desires, God's word, period. That's something that we have to prayerfully consider as we move forward in the life of the church. I'll say it again. This position is not as cut and dry as Pastor Elder. Based on what we see from the Greek, and that is the original language in which Paul writes this divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Regardless of where a local church lands on that issue, there are two things that we can certainly see. The deacon servant leader must have godly character and they must lead a stable household. Which brings me to number three, the final point. They are expected to serve. They are expected to serve. Verse 13 tells us, For those who serve well as deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul concludes this section highlighting that expectation of service. Those who serve well as a deacon gain a good standing for themselves. What does that mean? It means that they are looked at 
nicely, uh, more uh, affirmed by the people that they serve. The congregation is a good standing before the church body. They have proven themselves faithful to God and to his church. But Paul also states also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. As they grow more intimately with the Lord, they grow deeper in their confidence to be able to speak about Christ, how the Lord is moving in their life, how He is working. They're able to assist and lead on the mission of serving the church. They're able to disciple others. Which at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Remember, we as pastor elders are called to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. We are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In doing so, you are equipped so that you in turn can go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If we're faithful to that call, there's a day coming when we will be in the presence of the Lord, we will be in heaven, and we'll be able to interact with people that we never once met, but because of our gospel legacy that we left behind by discipling one who discipled others, who discipled others, we'll encounter them in heaven. A beautiful example. But deacons are called, they're expected to serve. And you might be saying, okay, well, Brian, what does all this mean for me today? Well, maybe you're here and you have questions about something that was said, and that's great. We welcome that. We, we want to be able to dialogue and, and help you to understand Scripture and to, and, and to see things. Like, if you ever, ever have something you hear and you're like, I have a question about that, or I'm not so sure about what you said, that's good. Number one, it means you're listening, and we appreciate that. But it also helps keep us on check. But come and talk with us. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. We want to listen. We want to shepherd you. Maybe you're trying to figure out as a believer, okay, well, what could this mean for me? Does this mean that I could potentially serve in that type of role in the church? It's good that that question is peaked in you. It may mean that God is doing something there. Come and speak with us so we can help equip you for the work. Maybe you're here and your first step is understanding all of this and understanding who Jesus is. Yeah, I get that all that stuff that you said is important for church structure and leading and being a part of the body, but I don't even know what it means to be a part of the body because I don't even know who Jesus is. Today may be the day of salvation for you. Today may be the day that you understand that this man Jesus who I've heard about, who I'm not really sure about, he came and he died for you. He died for me. He died for our sin that separated us from God. It's pretty incredible to think that somebody died for you, isn't it? He died. Gave up his life so that you may have life. Life eternal. Maybe that's you. Maybe today's the day that you want to talk about, hey, I want to know what it means to surrender to Jesus. I would encourage you to come forward as we sing the final song. But again, I want to bring our attention to the bottom line. Deacons are called by God to serve His church.
In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, before I jump into praying the actual prayer, I'm going to be quiet for a moment. Many of you are taking notes. And that warms a pastor's heart. But I want to encourage you. As you're sitting there quietly, I want you to pray. I want, to ask, I want you to ask the Lord, like, God, what are you speaking to me from this today? What, what is something that you want me to take from this today, Lord? And one of the things that, that I'm learning more and more and more is that when things come up like that, don't just let the moment pass by. Don't just say, I'll come back to that later. Write it down. And then cut out time in your day, in your week, to sit with the Lord and process that. So I want to give an opportunity for that to happen. I'm going to pray, and then when I say amen, we're going to sing this song to close out our gathering. Beautiful song. And as we're worshiping, I'll be here up front if you need to come forward and have questions, prayer, you need something, glad to do that for you. Pastor Walter's in the back. He'll glad to do that for you too if you don't feel comfortable coming forward. But we will gladly pray with you as we love you very much. So let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we have this moment of reflection, Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts right now. Or whatever it may be, Lord, that we're wrestling with, that we're trying to process, that we may have questions about. Lord, whatever they may be, Lord, bring them to our minds. Help us to write them down. Help us to process and go through that this afternoon, maybe, or sometime this week. Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here that maybe feels a stirring of, sounds like something that I could strive for. God, you give them the boldness to, to say, hey, I'm interested in that. Maybe there's someone that would say, hey, I don't know what that looks like because I, I don't know what it means to even have a relationship with Jesus. Lord, let that be a, an opportunity for them to reach out and say, hey, I, I want to learn more about Jesus. But Lord, whatever it may be, I pray, God, that you would make it apparent, make it clear And Lord, that we wouldn't just dismiss it, but God, that we would lean into it. Lord, ultimately, we want to honor you as best as we possibly can. We know we're not perfect. We know that we have struggles. We know that sometimes we think we've got it all together and we don't understand everything clearly. Lord, you do. 
Lord, I pray, God, that you would minister to our hearts. Help us to see areas in which there needs to be repentance, confession of sin. Help there to be moments of saying, Lord, I don't have this all together, but you do, and I'm going to trust you. I don't know what that may look like for each individual person right now, Lord, but you do. And I pray, God, that you would make it evident and clear. And Lord, ultimately, God, that you would have your way. Lord, as we sing this song, let it be an opportunity for us to praise your name, singing as loud as we can because, Lord, you are worthy of that worship. Have your way, O God, now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.